Hey guys, and welcome to the sanctuary of Quest Church. We're so glad that you're watching tonight. Here's what I promise you. Tonight, you're going to be challenged. Your thinking is going to be challenged. And that's a good thing. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. The first thing we need to correct starts right here. So tonight, you're going to hear two incredible men of God. Before I introduce them to you, let me encourage you to do something right now. Would you please hit your share button? Someone needs to hear what these men have to say. They're going to encourage us. They're going to inspire us. And God is going to touch people in a wonderful way on this evening. So go ahead and hit your share button. And also, in that comment section, if you'll just tag a friend right there, I promise they'll tune in and it, their life is going to be blessed. We've had some incredible guests at Table Talk. From Real Talk Kim to Ron Carpenter to Samuel Rodriguez, they've all been here. But I can tell you, the two guys tonight I'm extremely excited about. These two men have an interesting perspective when it comes to the gospel. Their insight, their revelation is very encouraging. So first of all, I want to introduce to you Dr. Lynn Hiles. He was with us a few weeks ago with Bishop Tony Miller. And man, we enjoyed you, Dr. Hiles. And thank you. I know you've been traveling. Where did you, you preach somewhere yesterday. Where were you yesterday? Yeah, I was in uh, Duluth, Georgia yesterday with Bishop Travis Hall, and uh, we were there yesterday, and uh, we're just starting to pick up traveling again, so it's been, it's been good to see real people. <laughs> I bet it is. And Pastor, Pastor Adam Bernal, that this is what's interesting, is Dr. Hiles on the East Coast, Pastor Adam is on the West Coast, and I bet there's not much traveling and preaching out there right now, is it, Pastor Adam? Now, now, and we're in the middle of a, it's got to be the hottest temperatures we've had in probably 20 years out here on a continual basis. So, in fact, it's so hot, I was just looking outside and I see a robin pulling a worm out of the ground with an oven. So it's, uh, it's <laughs> well, and, uh, all traveling is, is pretty much non-existent and um, it's been tough, but uh, we're persevering. And uh, I feel like the church is adapting through this situation. And yeah. that we can learn from this a lot. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And, and the navigation process has been interesting, but it's also been, in my opinion, very encouraging because it's presenting to us new opportunity and new challenges, which is always good. Pastor Adam Pastors Jubilee Bridge out by San Jose. What's the particular town you're in, Pastor Adam? I'm in Morgan Hill, California. I'm about 20 miles south of San Jose, Silicon Valley yeah, and I've been in relationship with Pastor Adam for the last, I think, 12, 13 years. And it's just so good to see both of you here tonight. Look, guys, we're going to get started. Uh, I started a series yesterday, so I'm going to invite you into my world for a moment. And uh, sure. we came out of Luke chapter 21 and verse number 28, where Jesus says, after these things begin to come to pass, and he says, look up and lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. And the things that he lists before this are things like, be careful that you are not deceived. That's a sign. He says, um, nation shall rise against nation. And we, we all know that that is ethnos or ethnic groups. And we're seeing that right now in our nation. Um, and then he said there will be pestilences or plagues, viruses, diseases in the earth. Um, in Matthew 24, in the same dialogue, he said, be careful that you're not offended. He said, many will be offended in that day and brother will betray brother. And we're seeing that too. Suddenly, you know, people that have been re in relationship for years, there's a, 
polarization because of perspective. And um, it, it's just all been interesting to me to watch this unfold. But Jesus said, when all these things begin to happen, now, Dr. Howes, I'm going to ask you to come in here for a minute because he says, when these things begin to happen, he says, look up and lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, he doesn't say the rapture draweth nigh. He right. says your redemption draweth nigh. And I've just been interested all day to see your insight about that, that dialogue and that sentence right there. Talk to us about that. Well, you know, the first thing I would say is, now I know, I know we're drawing some principles from that text, but the first thing I would say is that audience relevance and time slot is everything. Mm. Jesus was first of all talking to a first century audience, and he's saying when you see these things, a lot of the things that, uh, you know, I believe happened during the Olivet Discourse that Jesus taught are really not in our future, they're in our past. But the thing that I, I would say is that there are principles down through history of, uh, of, of, of events like that, that are things that we can glean like you are doing right now from those things. So, you know, Jesus was literally saying to them, they were really in a transition. I think this will help feed into a finished work uh, grace perspective. Mm -hmm. They were ending, they were coming to the close of an old covenant age. One of the things that uh, that text says, Matthew 24, I don't want to get you in trouble here. I don't know how much of it to say, but I was. Challenges. He said, when he says in Matthew 24, especially, he said, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? King James Bible calls it world. The Greek word there in every other translation is the end of the age. And the word world has thrown us off for a long time because it was not the end of the world as in a global situation. It was the end of the age and it was the end of the age of the old covenant law. And so uh, what was happening was there was a redemption that was drawing nigh. God was releasing something in the earth. Now, I want to stop you right there because, okay, okay when you said God is rele was releasing something in the earth. Now, yeah. I, I'm, I'm asking you for this insight because I'm going to be in this yeah. series for the next few weeks. And yeah. I'm going I'm to preach whatever you say. So I need you to <laughs> tediously walk, walk us through this. So what, what did he mean right there when he said your redemption draweth nigh? Absolutely incredible question, because what most people think when they say your redemption draws now, they think your escape is drawn now. Mm. But the redemption he's talking about was a redemption. You know, one of the things that most people don't realize we're redeemed from is that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, Jesus being made a curse for us. Mm -hmm. And so the redemption that was about to come on the scene was a redemption from that old covenant law. In other words, he was the ultimate lamb of God who had come on the scene to redeem us. So there was a salvation that was about, about to be revealed to them that was not available to old covenant saints. Mm -hmm. And you know, even the series that you did back some time ago about Noah, you know, you, you talked about Noah a little bit as it was in the days of Noah, but you know, uh, you, you texted me that morning and I said, the first thing, I, one of the first things I would say is build something redemptive. Right. Because Noah really is a picture, Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, uh, he finds grace. He's, there's, there's something about this, this uh, thing that he's starting to see that's, that, that finds favor in the eyes of God. Mm -hmm. And God says to him, build something redemptive. And I think that's the prophetic edge or where we're at right now is that the thing that we must build that's redemptive is we must build an ark. Now, the ark to me 
is a picture of Jesus. Almost everything in the scripture to me is the Old Testament is Jesus concealed, the New Testament is Jesus revealed. And the, the ark is a picture of Christ. It was, you know, even the word where he says, and thou shalt pitch it within and without yeah. is the Hebrew word kephar. We translate that atonement. And so we got in a boat called Christ. Mm -hmm. He was our vehicle out of an old world dominated by sin and by the curse. And we got off of the boat on a mountain called Ararat, which means the curse has been reversed. Mm. And we got out, we got inside of a boat and the, we got sealed to the day of redemption. And the thing that I think he was saying, even in Luke there, what you're talking about is the redemption that was drawing nigh is that he was saying there's a redemption that has not yet been available. And I would say that even as we are in this hour, it's relevant to us as well because we must begin to realize that our redemption is not in government. It's not in our activities. Our redemption is who we are in, in this moment. Okay. Now let me, let me in. stop you. Let me stop you right there. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're opening a volume and it's incredible. Now, yeah. Jesus also says uh, in the next verse, he says, when you see these things come to pass, know yeah. that the kingdom of God is nigh. So he doesn't just right. say your redemption is nigh, right? But he yeah. says the kingdom of God is near. It's not. Yeah. And, yeah. and he goes on to say it's at hand. Yeah. And he says yeah. um, that this generation shall not pass away till all, the, till all this is fulfilled. Touch yeah. on that and then I want to shift to Pastor Adam. Well, you know, the, the bottom line is, is that they were expecting the kingdom to come. They thought it would immediately appear. Yeah. And when John the Baptist, one of my latest books is called From Law to Grace, a Kingdom Paradigm Shift. And uh, what I talk about is where John the Baptist said, repent, change the way you think. That's what repent means. Change mm. the way you think the kingdom is within your grasp. He said that to a first century audience right there. And he's saying to them, the kingdom of God is about to come on the scene right now. And when we think about the kingdom, we think about politics and political things, but we don't think about the kingdom that was delivered in the Holy Ghost because the kingdom of God is not meat, drink, it's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's located in the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. And that kingdom was coming on the scene right in the, I mean, it was in its birthing stages. Wow. And it would ever increase. It would be like leaven. It would be like of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Somebody asked me recently if I believed in the one world government. I said, absolutely. The one that's on his shoulders. That's the only new one world government the Bible preaches about. Is that of the increase of, of unto us a child is given, unto us a son is born. And our child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be called the wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And, uh, and the government shall be on his shoulders and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. No end and so right. that was the birthing of that redemption. And right now, the answer, even to the problems of our society, is to continue to preach the gospel of the kingdom and see the kingdom increasing. Okay, kingdom. Now, would you, yeah. you said a while ago that Christ was symbolic or, or the ark was symbolic of Christ. Would you also say, or am I stretching it to say that the ark is also symbolic of the kingdom, that we need yes. to be in the kingdom? Absolutely. And you know what? I would say it's the vehicle. You know, mm. you know, I think maybe the last time we talked about, you know, I've been talking about this thing uh, in, on my television program called Roadmap to Reformation. And uh, I mean, the, the, the very same principles are there is that, you know, Ezra, uh, he built the temple and Nehemiah built the city. And I believe right now the answer is that, you know, uh, God is restoring uh, his temple and his city. 
Mm -hmm. And his city is not a place, it's a people. Mm -hmm. And when that city, wow. you know, the city in its part is built on apostles, like you had on this program. Mm -hmm. It's built on foundations of prophets mm -hmm. that began in the first century and, and increases, ever increases. But here's the point I'd like to make even about that. This city has a river that runs out of it. Mm. And that river has to flow out of a slain lamb or the revelation of the finished work. But that river ultimately produces a tree of life, Rick, yeah. That heals the nation. That's right. And what should be coming from the church, what should be coming from the church is ministrators of the kingdom and of the government of heaven. Wow. And as the release I love of it. the as we as we release something something redemptive in the earth, God is more interested in healing our brokenness than he is in judging us for our sin. And that's something people need to hear. Mm, God strong. is interested in hearing the brokenness of humanity. He's still he's the savior of the world right not not just you know and so when i think about lift up your head your redemption is drawn nigh there was a salvation and a redemption that was coming on the scene in that first century that luke was talking about that continues to this day yeah as our redeemer and we as, as we it step started into that and, yeah it started then and, and, and it's and it's run up to where we are now yeah so yeah. let See, me I, I think the most go ahead i'm sorry no that's good because you you crack me up, Doctor. When you get to go, man, it's like a flood. I'm I'm like, it's, like it's, taking a drink from a fire hydrant, right? just like that. Actually, I feel like all my hair. Well, it is literally going back, yeah. but it. Yeah. Pastor, <laughs> Pastor Adam, um, he hit on the first century a lot. I know you are one of yeah. the best historians as far as knowing history in Jerusalem and all those things that I've ever talked to. Uh, I want you to just chime in at any place you heard him mention and, and give us some thoughts tonight, give us some perspective. Well, you caught me off guard because chapter 21 of Luke is not a bumper sticker chapter. Right? <laughs> no, it's That's not. Right. That's right. You're right. Not a, lot of feel good, lot of, not a lot of feel good scriptures in there. And uh, at times, in fact, my Bible, I just grabbed, it's lily white. There's no notes, there's nothing underlined. And, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, what, what catches my eye on it is it starts in the temple with an offering. Wow. Right? It's the widow and the given the two mites. That's right? true. In the scripture before that, Luke shows there's a warning, beware of the scribes. That's how he ends that portion. And then the very chapter afterwards, he is the betrayer comes on the scene. So it's smack dab in a warning, and a betrayal. Wow. And in the temple, and he's watching the offering, right? Yeah. Which means it's a very limited audience. This isn't the crowd per se. This is only who's, you know, the probably 120 or so that come in at certain times for this part of the service. Right. And it says as he's watching the treasury, he sees a, a woman, a, a widow put in uh, wow. two mites. Yeah. And it's the disciples who approach him and ask him about the adornment of the of the temple how beautiful it is yep and that that discourse is what you're quoting he gives all the warnings about things that are going to happen he, he he you know and it's natural and it's uh, you know epidemics with humans and war you know human activities and and whatnot so i think it's a very interesting piece because the crowd never heard jesus preach this only the 12 heard him in a discourse on this. Wow. And I've been on a thing recently that there's things he would say only to the 12 that he wouldn't say to his enemies, that yep. he wouldn't say to the crowd. 
So this whole discourse that you're on mm -hmm. was for disciples. And to me, this is a key thing because all, all disciples were believers. Yep. All right. But not all believers are disciples. Wow. Right. And disciples were handpicked, hand chosen, equipped and sent. Not all believers are in that boat. Not all believers are in that category. Man, that's strong. So, this is weighty stuff, I believe, that you are dealing with. And I am, I'd be fascinated to hear your series on this. Well, we're working on it. And when you hit on that about there are certain things that he reserved just for his disciples. And that's how the, when we first went into the pandemic, the Lord spoke to me. The very thing you're talking about is that he spoke to his disciples. And the word there, disciples, literally means learners, not just pupils, not just students, but learners. You can be a student and not be learning. And I love mm -hmm. your perspective on that. And my question has been, Pastor Adam, during this season, it's, it, we've heard too many voices telling us what they think they know instead of what they are learning in this season. And the Lord really spoke to me and said, those that are learning now will lead later. And it's a season of learning, not expressing, you know, what, what you know or think you know. It's really all about what are you learning. And Pastor Adam, with that being said, where do you see the church right now prophetically, um, historically, you know, with all this going on, what are we learning from this? Well, it's unprecedented, so I'm glad you're saying this. I, the Lord has put on my heart that I need to observe a few things. I need to button my lip a little bit. I need to, to um, interesting, Jesus was observing and saw the woman put the two mics in, the, and this is whole discourse started off of that. Right. It's amazing what you can get if you observe. And I'm trying to get my, there's interesting pieces where Jesus spoke only to the 12 or even to the three, mm -hmm. whether it was you know, Peter, James, and John, but it was certain environments. And so what I'm trying to do is to get myself or my church or my leadership into environments where Jesus speaks to disciples. I've been in a lot of environments where he speaks to the crowd. Yep. I've been in or rebukes or, but when it gets into the point where he wants to speak to disciples, I think mm. it, it's an upper room. It's a Mount of Transfiguration. Mm. It's a Garden of Gethsemane, right? It's here at the treasury. Wow. There's certain little environments where I believe Jesus speaks. And he says things that only for their ears. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of them is the only one who's ever called the beloved, right? So there's, there's, there's certain things he will reserve for his guys yeah. and for those that want to discipline themselves into his way. Mm. And I'm trying to get my, my little congregation, my flock, my leadership, and myself into these environments. And I do believe they vary. They can, you know, some are upper room. But I'm trying to get myself a little bit out of the crowd. And this mm -hmm. pandemic's been great for that. Yeah, to be it's honest. True. Very we've, true. We've all been quarantined like never before. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's the time where he wants to speak to disciples. So my question to me would be, yes, I know I'm a believer. But how good of a disciple am I? Wow. Yeah, man. Right? Yeah. Am I willing to live on faith? Am I willing to drop everything and to follow him? If yeah. not, I'm just a bread and fish eater in the crowd. I can get blessed. Yeah. But I need direction. I want you, what we just read in Luke 21 is secrets that Jesus reserved only for his guys. Yeah. Thank God they got written down. Yeah. But it was for them. 
Strong. So I'm going to get to a point where where I am in a place where Jesus is going to give something because he knows I'm a disciple. Can I share this with you, both of you? As you guys are talking, I'm just going to tell you what I feel. I feel a sure. great sense of hope. You know, you as you guys are talking, it, 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 Pastor Adam, you hit on the intimacy that, that Jesus had with those closest to him in moments like this. And that's so very strong. Dr. Howells talks, talks to us about what redemption is and, and that feeling of hope is, I can feel it on this stage right now. Dr. Howells, we're gonna walk in this room together and I want you to tell us about this environment that we call grace. In my opinion, when Hannah hit Corpus Christi, it was a sign in the natural what's happening in the supernatural. Corpus Christi means the body, the body of Christ. Hannah means grace, right? It hit Padre Island, which is Padre's father. And I don't want to go, I'm not trying to be mysterious or anything like that. I just, I saw something in the natural, I believe that's happening in the supernatural, that we need a flood of grace. Yeah. Watch this now. To rearrange the landscape of our theology. Yeah. Because we have been too rigid. We have not been transparent. We've not been authentic. Um, we've been too religious. I'll just say that. Yeah. And that's why you always see these Pharisees and Sadducees standing around when Jesus is giving secrets to the disciples. The Pharisees and Sadducees can't figure it out. And religion can never figure out the revelation of grace. Yeah. Because it's never allowed into that, into that arena. Talk to us yeah. about that, Dr. House. Well, you know, one of the main things that I would say is that you know, people, first of all, uh, are afraid of grace because of sometimes the naysayers or what people think about it or the fringe edges of what maybe some crazy folks have done with it. But grace to me is not what causes people to sin. It is the antidote for it. Mm. Uh, the scripture said where grace about or where sin abounds, grace will super hyper. That's hooper. The Greek word is hooper. It will hyper abound. And I believe that the, the grace, and so, so not just saving grace, Bishop Rick, but right. empowering grace. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, when, when, when grace, I believe that we really, uh, you know, even as it fits, you know, my whole paradigm connects grace, finished work, new covenant, even with the eschatology of it, because it's like, like you said, it's like a tsunami of redemption that's hitting this planet like never before. Mm. And, and there's, and, and, and at first, sometimes it, it when, 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 when a, like a hurricane of grace hits, it may even look like it tears some things down and it damages some things. It, the wind, the wind of the Holy Spirit, I, I call it blows. And I, years ago, I, I preached a message in Temecula, California called Gone with the Wind. Mm. And I talked about how on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost brought the kingdom and the kingdom, the wind came into that room and it blew away an old covenant, but it brought with it a new covenant. Mm -hmm. But even in the midst of it, whenever, you know, I was thinking about where, where I think even we're headed somewhat with the church is that, uh, you know, uh, looking back again at Ezra and Nehemiah, there was some stones that had to be revived out of heaps of rubbish. Mm -hmm. In other words, it looked like a hurricane had hit that place. Right. But, the, you know, I felt like the Lord said to me, there's some things that we've thrown away that we need to go get pick up. 
Mm. We need to go back and get some things we've done. There's a generation among us, you know, Bishop Rick, I know you know this because you've been around a while too, but there, there's there's a generation among us that's never seen the move of the Holy Ghost like you and I saw. That's true. They've never seen, I've never seen the power of Pentecost like we saw. Right. But, you know, uh, to me, you know, the grace of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ has begun to come into the church and uh, it's coming with such force now. I mean, it was, you know, in the days when I first started preaching it, you could, people would walk across the road to spit on you for preaching it. Now it's on, uh, it's on the mainstream. I mean, there's an openness <laughs> to it like there's never been before. Yeah. But the problem is, is when people get it, you know, that just have a little piece here and a little piece there and, and kind of put mud in the water. But nevertheless, grace is, uh, you know, it is, it is the, it's not, it's the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God, but it's predicated and based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I'll just make a few blunt statements. You know, the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It's about receiving a life that'll keep you. That's what redemption's wow. about. Uh, the gospel is not about rules. It's about a relationship. And just what uh, uh, the other brother just said a little while, and, you know, God, matter of fact, uh, Galatians 3 says that God gave the law because of a transgression. And I believe that that transgression was not only Adam's transgression. It was the transgression at the foot of Mount Sinai when God had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt based on the Abrahamic covenant that only required that you believe. And God said, I want to make a whole nation of priests out of them. I want to have personal relationship with all of them. They're going to be, I'm going to be to them a God. They're going to be to be a people. I could see God excited about this for the first time. Relationship is restored. And when God came down on the mountain and the smoke and the fire came, the people said, we're afraid of him. You go talk to him. Mm -hmm. And whatever he says to you, we will do it. And if we do it, it'll be our righteousness. I'm afraid when we preach the law and we preach legalism, people get afraid of God and they run from God rather than run to him. And I think that's... Let me, let me stop you right there. Do you think that too many preachers for too long have, have preached from a law perspective and not, no doubt. Not, not a new covenant perspective? Talk to us a little bit about that. Okay. You know, one of the things I preached this weekend was that from the book of Timothy, Paul wrote to, to Timothy, and he said uh, that study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth does not mean you know how to read Greek and Hebrew. It means you need to know how to divide what is truth in relationship to the old covenant and what is truth in relationship to the uh, new covenant. So if you're going to study to show yourself, see, we read, oh, that's so fast that we don't realize it's not saying study to show yourself disapproved. The old mm. covenant finds out what's wrong with you. The new covenant tells you what's right with you. The old covenant is, you know, uh, the message Bible says, uh, for if the government of condemnation was glorious, how about this government of affirmation? So the old covenant condemns you. The new covenant affirms you. The old covenant takes an old man and tries to modify his behavior with sin management programs and church sheriffs. Wow. And the new covenant brings you into a relationship with God where you know who you are in your new identity and you start to flow out of that affirmation. And so, you know, when, when, you, when the people of Israel forfeited that personal relationship with God as a nation of priests who should have been to the earth, what the church is now, I believe, is that they would have been a nation of priests to disciple, as uh, the other pastors always said, to disciple the nations. But uh, they forfeited that in 490 years. The scripture said that the law was added because of that transgression until 
That's a time word until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And that seed was Christ. He was our redemption. Yeah. And so, but then Peter grabs a hold of that and restores that back to the believer and says, you're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. And he brings us back into the whole, all of us having access to God and personal relationship. And see, the moment you don't have relationship, you got to have rules. Yep. And the more rules, the, the less relationship The moment you, have, you don't have relationship, you have, you to, have to have, have rules. rules. And that's why there was law. And so what we must do is we have to get people back to relationship. We've got to get them back into intimacy with God. We've got to yeah. get them back as far as a priesthood. We've got to get them back into the new covenant and not run from God and start running to him. Yeah. We've got to stop bringing them into performance-based religious systems that only makes Pharisees out of them because even the kingdom does not come with observation. And that doesn't mean you can't see it. It means it doesn't come with the observances of old covenant rituals and I could go Strong. on forever about let, let me let me ask here. you let me ask this do you believe the epistles that he wrote which he wrote two-thirds of the new testament right do yeah. you believe that they are just laced with grace absolutely i mean it's the message of the the the, the, the you know it was the message throughout the new covenant i mean all it right is with the, that with it's that the, it's the missing message <laughs> okay with that being said pastor adam i know you studied the apostle paul and his journeys, his missionary journeys, and all the places he went. With caveat some on what Dr. Hiles has introduced to us, because I, I fully agree, you know, that for too long preachers have preached from a law perspective instead of a grace perspective. Talk to us about the Apostle Paul. He said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Pastor Adam, talk to us about him, and how did he come upon this revelation or perspective of grace like he did? It had to have been unfolding as he went. I don't think it was at the beginning of his ministry. In fact, if, I think if you study early on Paul's even writings, uh, he, he struggled. Well, look what his background was, Pharisee of Pharisees, like he said, and studying at the temple, trying to impress them. These were his bosses. So this had to be a dramatic transformation of his mind of this new position he had mm -hmm. you know we see him we see him being taken under the wing of Barnabas you know the son of encouragement and what a and what a dream team they were but yeah. Paul doesn't have much grace when Barnabas wants to bring John Mark on the team yeah for the second time right in fact it's it says a contentious so great kind of implies almost a fist fight yeah. So there wasn't a lot of grace amongst the team right there. It broke up the team. And I bet we all have stories in our own little circles we that do. were good teams, yeah. but it got broken up because of this or that. Really, the reason it got broken up was nobody had any grace with each other on it. Wow. Right? It's easy to have grace on a stranger, sometimes easier than it is to have grace on people we know. Wow. And. I'm not saying I'm an authority. I was loving what uh, what Dr. Lynn was talking about there. Um, I don't believe I'm an authority on this, but I do believe with Paul, I do believe the older he gets almost to his final writings, it's almost a revelation that gets dropped on him that he finally comprehends it, especially in 2 Timothy being a drink offering and, and uh, almost a farewell letter and knowing that his end is near. And if we all knew our, our end was near and there was no hope of escape or, or what, uh, I don't know about you, but I pray that I would have a lot of grace on me. And uh, especially for those that, you know, he even asked for John Mark, one of the final sayings that he has he in did. Second Timothy. 
Yeah. The person he got in the fist fight over, it's almost like he wants to bury the hatchet, no pun intended, but yeah. he wants to make amends about this thing. It's bothered him for all these decades or for all through these years and these travels. And we don't know what happened to Barnabas, but I believe it's, uh, you know, I think you have to live a life for a little bit where there's a little bit of very little grace to respect grace. Yeah. But then you have to be able to be able to give grace to yourself. Wow. Not just say grace over a meal, right? We all want it, but are you able to give it? And yeah. if Christ lives in you, you should manifest grace in your life. Wow. And I'm always fascinated. I, I think Jesus had a lot of grace, right? I mean, look at, I mean, obviously. Yeah. Right. And I, I'm always fascinated with Judas. Judas fascinates me. Yeah. He was handpicked. He didn't ask for this, right? Right. Jesus in John 6 says, one of you will betray me. It's going to happen. It's yep. going to be one of them. Right? Yeah. In fact, Jesus even gives a clue to them at the Last Supper. One of you here will betray me. And they all get in close and say, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And Jesus whispers and says, the one who dips the bread in the vinegar. Mm. Judas was too far away to hear that. Wow. If he was close enough to hear that, you think he would have dipped the bread in the vinegar? No. No. He wouldn't have. So my point is, the closer you are to Jesus, the more you will hear things. Wow. Right? Yeah, man. He was chosen just like the rest of them. He ran the money for the ministry. Don't tell me you don't trust the guy that runs your money, right? I mean, this is, this is, so I'm fascinated with this. My point is, would there have been grace for Judas? Mm. There was grace for a denier. Yep. There was grace for a doubter. Yep. There was grace for three of them sleeping on him. And they all ran. Yep. There was grace for that. Would there have been grace for the betrayer? Wow. And they wrestle with this. And in my, the older I get, I really believe there would have been grace and forgiveness for the betrayer. Wow. And to me, that is the ultimate of grace and what grace is about incredible wow i've never heard that before let, let me say this i, I believe ponder that, it. i ponder i don't know if i preach it but i, I, I ponder that and that's and what we're I, here for i like that's this what table talk is yeah right, this is right. total this is table talk this is this is authentic dialogue so i i just don't believe we're ever at a place of spiritual maturity that we will not need grace you ne uh -huh. you never get there that you yeah. will not need grace and grace always says the message is bigger than the messenger that's what Ooh. grace says the message is bigger than the messenger and okay. when we lose that revelation we become very rigid with people dr house i know you were intrigued with the stuff pastor adam was saying talk to us well you know i i, I would say i mean i was intrigued what he was saying even about the apostle paul's conversion because here's paul imagine if you were in the first century and you had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and uh, you went to church your whole life, and your grandparents had, and every week you had to go and sacrifice an animal, and you had to go through circumcision and divers washings and all of the stuff that was involved in the law. And, you know, when the Apostle Paul makes the statement in Philippians, or one of the things he says, he said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Yeah. You would think he was into yeah. sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but he's, he, that's not his testimony. He said, I was, he was, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I set at the feet of Gamaliel as touching the law. I was blameless 
That's what Paul calls being the cheapest of sinners. He was missing the mark. That's what sin means, because the mark is not the law. The mark is Christ and being his image bearer in the earth. And when Paul gets to that place, he said, I count it all as dung that I might win Christ and be found in him. And that's the thing, again, that when we lift up our heads, our redemption is him. It's about him. It's keeping him in focus and getting, you know, even as, as, as uh, uh, my brother was just saying, uh, you know, there's probably every one of us can find ourselves either uh, in, in any one of these uh, uh, disciples' personality. Sometimes yeah. I'm the betrayer. Sometimes I'm the guy leaning on the breast of Jesus. But yeah. thank God for the grace of God. If it ain't for the grace, you know, you and I had this conversation when we first met. I said, you know, I think one of the problems even with uh, uh, young preachers is that success too soon can destroy you. But thank God for the grace of God that can pick you back up out of the mud, up out of the, if it wasn't for the grace yes. of God, that's that. You know, the thing of it is, is we realize that my acceptance, even when I look at that scripture study to show yourself approved, my acceptance is not on the basis of how good I am. It's on the basis of how good the sacrifice was. You know, when I was preaching this weekend for Bishop Paul, I had a couple of guys come up and one of them, I had to be a high priest. One was a sinner, one was a lamb. And I said, now, you know, the sinner would bring a lamb because he had to come to God on the basis of the blood of a spotless lamb. That's the only way he could get access to God. And so I had him come up and he brought his lamb and, and he, you know, they laid their hands on the head of that lamb and, and they would confess their sin. And then they would hand the lamb to the priest. And the priest, Bishop Rick, would examine that lamb from the top of its head to the soles of its feet. And then he would declare this is this is a this is a spotless lamb this is a lamb without blemish see judas testified and you know the scripture said one of them was the devil even the devil testified and said i betrayed innocent blood even the devil had to say the blood of jesus was innocent uh you know and and Pilate said this is this man there's no fault in him he was a spotless lamb he's qualified but the thing i pointed out is they examined that lamb to see it was a spotless lamb but the thing i pointed out is this even in that Old Testament, the sinner was never examined. It was the lamb that's examined. We get up every Sunday morning and examine the sinner, and we forget about the lamb. <laughs> wow. And the basis of my acceptance is not on the basis of how good I am. The basis of my acceptance is on how good he is. And, man, that makes me fall in love Preach, with him man. so much. Preach that, man, in this I, building. Man, I... I want to throw the, the you know, I, I, it makes me uh, fall in love with him so much. I want to go back and throw the money on the floor of the temple too. It said, I've betrayed him too, but the innocent went, for, I mean, you know, it's like the story of Barabbas. It's, uh, you know, the guilty went free and, and the, the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. It, it doesn't cry. The blood, I feel the preacher a little bit. The blood Come still on. has something to say. Come on, The man. blood's still talking today. The blood's talking tonight for Come people on. that's uh, worried about a pandemic and worried about a death angel moving through the land. Here's what you do. You put blood on the doorpost of your house and take the lamb inside your house and the night roast with fire and you start feeding on lamb in the night and something will hit you about midnight and says, I can't live in this bondage anymore. And that's what's happening right now with this tsunami that's, uh, or, you know, this hurricane of grace that's hitting the body of Christ is they're starting to get enough lamb in their belly that they're saying, I can't live in this bondage anymore. I don't care if it's religious bondage. And right. that's some of the bondage that need, we may, we may need Rick to start some religion rehab center. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we may need some somebody to run some religion. We need some, some you know, even Saul of Tarsus. Any Ford Center was, for the fallen yeah, religious he, one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you know, Paul was knocked to the ground. Here's an interesting thought. When Paul was knocked to the ground, 
the Bible said a man by the name of Ananias touched his eyes. And I don't know if you know it or not, but Ananias' name means grace. It is grace that will open the eyes even of a legalist. Man. Say, I had to count it all as done that I might win Christ, you know. And I so, love what you said about the blood, too. And, and the Apostle Peter said you've not been redeemed by silver yeah. or gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. Yeah. And so you just gave me uh, one part of my series. I, I appreciate you opening that door to me. Yeah, go, uh, go, go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Pastor Adam, um, we've got two more places to visit, guys. And, Pastor Adam, I want to okay. give you an opportunity to caveat on anything you heard in that dialogue, and then we're going to go to two more areas. Well, we were talking about Paul, and I kind of got sidetracked with Judas. <laughs> I am fascinated with Judas. He did bring the spotless lamb to the priest. Yes, he did. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yes, he, he did. did. Yes, he did. He served a purpose in that category. And there wouldn't have been any, uh, even when we take communion, Judas is part of the communion because it says on the night in which he was betrayed. Yes, sir. Right. And everything that that cup and that bread represents, Judas is a part of it. I know this is, uh, this is, uh, but, but back to Paul. When Dr. Uh, Lynn was talking, it, it made me think, I, I do a lot of uh, follow the footsteps of Paul tours in Greece. I've been doing this for 20 something years. And Athens always fascinates me because I know Paul was excited when he got to Athens. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the city of Socrates. It's the city of Aristotle. It's the city of Plato. It's the, it's where rhetoric was, in, you know, designed and invented and debating mm -hmm. and, and philosophy and whatnot. Yeah. I, I, Paul being an orator, I, you knew he was excited to get there. And it said he's, he spent many days walking around the Acropolis and the Pantheon. And I think it inspired him. And of course, his sermon to the, un, to the unknown God, and it bombed, right? We've all, <laughs> I bet we've all had a sermon that bombed over the years. And they scorn him and they laugh him. And Paul leaves the ministry. Remember, he had told Silas, I'll meet you in Athens. He leaves without them coming. Yep. And he goes to Corinth, which is about a 45-minute car ride away. And it's there he starts being a tent maker again, right? Wow. He's leaving the ministry. Yeah. But the grace of God is so good that Jesus appears to him there and says, there are many people in this city. Do not fear. Come and on. it is there Priscilla and Achilla that changes his life, right? Even when he wants to walk away and leave the ministry, the grace of God wow. knows what the final outcome is and will pull him back into it. And arguably, you could say Paul is greater after Acts 18 than he was before Acts 18, right? This was a turning point in his life. And God is not compelled or there's no nothing that God goes on his own, his own sovereign act to give Paul an encouragement through grace that something good is gonna happen. Good. So every time I've had a hard time in ministry, I remember that story. And at times we've all probably done a little tent making here or there, yeah. we, we dabble in this or that. But I'm here to tell you, it's the grace of God that when it's a man or a woman of God has a call of God in their life, it pulls them back into it. And I give thanks to God for this. You guys are doing some serious ministry here tonight. It's not just the revelation you're bringing. It's ministry that you have brought to this table tonight. I'm so blown away and so impressed with the grace that is on both of your lives. You're helping people. And I'm so encouraged by that and, and so appreciate the insight you're bringing. Two, two more areas. Adam, you're going to have me thinking about that all night long and how many guys have walked away and, 
and missed a grace opportunity to stay with it. If they just mm-hmm. had the revelation of God's grace, they would still be in it. Strong stuff, man. Okay. Put your oxygen tank on, folks. We're going to the deep end of the pool. Um, Dr. Hiles, uh, I've heard you talk about this, and it rocked my world. And it made me rethink my entire theology. Talk to us about the finished work of the cross. How significant is that statement? And how much do we need it right now, the revelation of that right now? Well, I think that's one of the main keys uh, to unlock where we're at. You know, and I could come back again because I believe the Bible pattern. You know, God gave us the Old Testament as pictures because it gives us a language for how to say it. And one of the things I would say about the finished work, again, I would take you clear back to Exodus when they're ready to leave Egypt. And uh, I, I would say this, that uh, when, when they put the blood on the doorpost of the house and they took the lamb inside the house in the night, what we have mistakenly done is preaching that the lamb or the blood on the doorpost said to the death angel, this house escapes. That's not completely true. That's only partly true. What the blood on the doorpost said to the death angel is there's already been a death exacted here. The mm. death of the lamb was the death of the firstborn. And if we don't realize that the cross was God's method of getting rid of who we were in Adam, we will continue to preach the old covenant to an old man. And the new covenant is written to the new man. And so the Lord said to me about 25 years ago, you have to decide who you're going to preach to. You're either going to preach to Adam and try to get him into behavior modification programs, or you're going to develop the new creation, the new man. And so the finished work shows me that I'm not fighting for victory. I'm fighting from victory, uh, that I'm not trying to get God to do something. He's already done something. Even Hebrews that talks about faith, he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, is the evidence of things not seen. And it talks about in Hebrews 11 that all of these men of faith did something in the visible realm that was a picture of the redemptive work of Christ, whether they built an ark, that's a picture of his redemption. Whether it was Abraham who offered up his son, that's a picture of God offering his son. Whether it was Moses who kept the Passover, or I could go on for days talking about that. All of them did something in the visible realm that was a picture of a redemption that they were hoping for. But for us, we are not living in author faith we are living in finisher faith we're in hebrews 12 now we look away and we look unto jesus who's the author and finisher of our faith so that now faith is a substance in other words i'm not trying to believe because i think god's going to do something when i preach the word of christ that he's already done my faith begins to come alive in other words by whose stripes you were healed and when you access what he's already done uh, even my salvation is I simply received what he's already accomplished and paid for in the finished work. It, when he cried out, it is finished. It is far more finished than people realize it is. And he's simply sitting, waiting on somebody to appropriate what's already theirs and access by faith what's already been provided by grace. And I think that's a very important point is there's a lot of people preaching grace that won't preach faith. And there's a lot of people preaching faith that won't preach grace. And it's not either or, it's both of them held in a careful tension. Mm. Because grace is the objective side of the gospel. It's what God did in Christ without any help from us. It's the finished work. 
Faith is me accessing what he's already done and appropriating. In other words, by whose stripes you are healed. That's finished. That's as done as it'll ever be. Right. But it's, it's, there's times when my foot hurts. So how, what, 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 how, the, the point is, how do I get what he's already accomplished to operate in my life? And that is my faith begins to feed on what he's already done. Yeah. And the finished work of his, uh, that he's already accomplished. And when I start to teach that and preach it, people become what I call believers. In other words, we grew up, you and I grew up under, I, I call them terrorist preachers, you know, that, one, yeah. you know, they named sin. And by the time they got done naming sin, we didn't even believe we were saved anymore. That's right. And people, people say, <laughs> well, what do y'all believe up in that church? I said, well, we don't believe that, you know, women should cut their hair. We don't believe you should you know, play sports. We don't believe you should watch TV. We don't believe you. I mean, everything was, and I said, we don't believe, we don't believe. And I realized one day while I was telling somebody who had asked me what we believe, I'm telling them what we don't believe. And I, it, it hit me all of a sudden. I've sat in church my whole life and became an unbelievers. Wow. But when we start to preach, wow. you're a new creature in Christ. When you start to tell people who they are, they look at you at first like, what rock did you crawl out from underneath of? <laughs> but when they start, but when you when you continue to preach to them that they're new creatures in Christ, they've got they've been regenerated. Yeah. <laughs> they got a new genes, not Levi genes. That's old covenant <laughs> genes. You got designer genes. You got Melchizedek genes. So. <laughs> You've been regenerated. You've got a new DNA. It's not your nature to sin anymore. Yeah. And you, you start telling them what to believe, then people become what I call believers. So we why, said church why, become unbelievers. Why, Pastor Adam, you chime in too. Why have we worked so hard to earn something that was freely given? It's like I've been saved. You know, I've been in ministry going on 40 years, 40 years in March, and I still deal. I, it was damaging. The doctrine of law was damaging to me in the infancy of my being born again. And that first impression was so hard and so rigid that there are still times, and I'm just being very transparent, yep. that, that yes, I, feel like, I feel like I'm trying to earn something from God, like God is not totally good with me, right? Mm -hmm. Do you guys ever experience that? Talk, yes. Give me some feedback. Well, I was raised Catholic, so yes. <laughs> there was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of guilt mixed guilt. into that. Yeah, there you go. Guilt, not grace. And isn't it interesting? Paul writes that the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. But to us, right? Yeah. Is the what? So I, I got to remember I am part of us now. I'm not part of them any longer. I am part of us because my value of the cross was very different. The cross warded off things. Right. It, it was almost like a talisman or, or uh, you know, warded off evil or warded, you know, vampires in the movies. It's, you know, it's uh, it, it kept it keep, keeps things away. Mm. But the more revelation I got, that's not what the cross is about. The cross is about what you gain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just from a practical standpoint, I like to remind myself that, you know, Jesus kept bumping heads with the religious crowd. Yep. Right. True. And if he kept bump, and they're the ones who, who orchestrated his death, but he was killed by the Romans, mm. which means he, he suffered a Gentile's execution. That's right. Right. So almost like what Dr. Lynn was talking about, two things coming in together. If, if, if the Jews would have had full jurisdiction, it would have been a stoning. Okay. Yep. But they handed him off to the Gentiles. So in me, to me, the message of the cross, all these things, I like to remember that he died a Gentile's death. 
And it, to me, it speaks that he is the savior to the world. Mm. And that we really were the plan the whole way into it. He didn't just die yes. a stoner's the, the death of a stoning. Mm -hmm. And he could be pushed to the side as a religious heretic or, 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 or what. He mm. died under the guise of the empire. He died under their jurisdiction. Even Paul's being sent back to because he appeals to Caesar. So wow. the cross is for the world. Yeah. It's not, it's not just for us. To me, the, the message of the cross is for the world. And that, my last thing is I'm always reminded that the four gospels, it's not that they disagree with one another, but they have him recording saying four different things mm -hmm. at the end. Right? Forgive them for they don't know what they do. Right. I thirst. It is finished in John. Mm -hmm. But the one thing they do agree upon about it is that he yelled with a loud voice. Yeah. Right? That's right. And I That's like right. to remind myself, we come into this world with a scream and with a yell. If not, the doctor smacks you on the rear end to make sure. And Jesus left this yeah. side of glory with a yell. Yeah. And yeah. I... You know what? I, I believe we've been put on this planet to make a little noise and not to be quiet, not to be solemn, not to be the somber church. Yep. Right. We come into it with a yell and Jesus left it with a yell. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I believe there's a still a little bit of a yell in the body of Christ. And I believe there's a time that is coming that we're going to make some noise. Yeah. We're going to make noise like we've never made before. And I'm not talking about numbers. I'm not talking about laser shows. I'm not talking about, right. you know, Kumbaya concerts. I'm not, I'm not, no, no that's bad. I'm not saying that. Right. I'm just saying a new sound that is coming. Yep. And it's yep. going to be loud. It's going to be guttural. It's going to be visceral. Why? Because we've realized in the middle of this that I, I think the church is getting, that the true ministers on fire for God are realizing they're tired of just socials and, fried chicken dinners and and whatnot that we are really coming into a season that rubbers meet in the road and it's about to count man strong okay in closing pastor adam i'm gonna ask you first if you had a sanctuary full of preachers right now and you were speaking to them pastors evangelists prophets apostles and you had a moment with them We've never been where we are right now. You've never shaken hands with a pastor that has lived through a pandemic, that has pastored through a pandemic, racial division, political upheaval. You've never met a pastor that has pastored in a year like this. So what would you say to guys that are leading and ladies that are leading right now? What would your word of encouragement be? Number one, realize that we are being... We didn't ask for it, but we are being put in a position of trailblazing. Mm. All right. At times, I think the body of Christ has become settlers. Wow. This nation is founded by both. All right. The, throughout the great Midwest, people settled still. And, and that, that's not a bad term. That's right. the breadbasket of America. Mm -hmm. And they farm that land. But a few went all the way west. Go west, young man, as the as the New York Times once said, right? Mm -hmm. And there was gold rushes, and there was uh, uh, hostile indigenous peoples, and there was a lot of things that had to be fought for it. I'm here to say, I think the church of uh, the body of Christ and the church overall is 
going to have to leave the settling, mm. get back into the trailblazing. And there's going to be a new road, it's, I'm, and, but don't, don't be fearful of it. Realize yeah. God's going to stretch you in ways that you're that maybe you've never been stretched. Yeah. Almost all preachers, in a way, are either evangelists or you know they they have a slant on one of the fivefold ministry. True. But I really I would tell pastors right now. I wouldn't say this to, but just to a room of pastors where they're pastoring a church, you're ready to lead a flock for mm. real. You're ready to lead a, a flock for real. For real. And that protecting them. That means finding them water, and that means finding them good grazing lands, right? Yep. And that means keeping them alive. I think part of what we're going to do in these next few years, a lot of churches are going to just have to keep it alive, keep the flock together. Yeah. But I'm here to tell you, there's something on the other side of that. We're going to trailblaze something new. And I believe within a year, the church and the, the church will look completely different. I'm not talking about buildings. I'm not talking about the the and. But the demographics, yep, how we do things, mm -hmm. it is changing. It's changing while we speak. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm a may I'm a pastor, so and as you are as well. So mm -hmm. I'm always looking how many people are you know since we're, we're we've been nothing but online, right? How many are watching? How many are doing this? Yep. And our numbers are huge. Yep. But the ones that are watching live, fairly small, which means people are picking and choosing when they're going to do church. That is very true. When they're setting aside the time to do their church. Yeah. In the past, we told them the time, the place. Now they're deciding. Now they're telling us. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, but this is something that I'm really noticing. And this is something that I believe that the church is, uh, I think a lot of guys are going to poo-poo this and they're going or fight against it. Mm -hmm. Instead, I'd like to trailblaze it a little bit better, and I would yep. like to set up um, new parameters for it. Incredible. Allow we just, we've been talking about that with our staff a whole lot here. You know, okay, what is the new dynamic? What is the new demographic? How do we find direction through this thing, right? And we've noticed that as well. And I've said this often lately that, you know, people pre-COVID, one-third of the people pre-COVID are still with the churches they were with then, right? One third has gone to other churches during this pandemic. But here's the startling and scary part to me. One third has left the church, which means they're not watching online and they're not attending churches that are reopening. And um, that concerns me greatly. And Pastor Adam, we, we're experiencing the same thing. You know, when this happened, our viewership went way up and now the live viewership is starting to take a dip but throughout the week we're seeing those numbers go up toward the end of the week which means what you said people are picking and choosing when they are going to have church and that's mm -hmm. that's an interesting thought to me dr hiles what would you say same question you've got all these leaders here what would you tell them at this point i would say that uh we were deemed to be non-essential because we finally got to the place where the church wasn't relevant anymore. Mm. And I think that we uh, have to begin to emerge as being uh, irreplaceable. Mm. And that is in the midst of this is to be uh, salt and light in the midst of darkness. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, chaos. I, you probably heard me say this before, but chaos is the end of what's not working anymore, but it is the birthplace of change. 
And it was in Genesis 1 that God hovered over the face of chaos. The Spirit of God moves in chaos. It doesn't look like the Spirit of God is moving. Wow. But I believe the Spirit of God's moving all over the earth right now. Even with all of the upheaval, it is nothing but birth pains that are taking place. Of uh, you know, and, and 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 a lot of people are just adding to the fear. You know, I, I wanted to say this as well when you were talking a while ago about you know growing up and even having to struggle uh, sometimes with fear and, and condemnation guilt. I think we all go through this, especially any of us raised in legalism. But I think the reason that is is because Colossians two said that when Jesus was lifted up, he uh, destroyed, uh, uh, he uh, rendered inoperative. Uh, the power of the enemy, or he he disarmed principalities and powers. If you look at the context of that in Colossians, the weapon that he took from the enemy was the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. It, he took the law out of his hands. The power of condemnation and accusation is that the enemy uses an antiquated law to indict you on a law and try to get you to settle out of court and plead guilty. Wow. But Jesus already, you already have an attorney on retainer who's he's your defense counsel. As a matter of fact, the word for, uh, I will send you another comforter is the Greek word paraclete. It means a defense attorney, a defense counsel. So you've got somebody in your corner that ever lives to litigate. I, I can't hardly keep them preaching, you know. Come but, on, man. But what I would say is that as a nation right now, what we need leaders to do is stop propagating more fear and hate. We need right. them to serve bread and wine. We need we need a Melchizedek priesthood that has nothing but bread and wine in their hand, a priesthood of believers that are serving bread and wine. That's the finished work of Jesus Christ. The only thing Melchizedek does is he brings bread and wine. He flows from a mercy seat and not a judgment seat. And he brings forth bread and wine. And when he brings forth bread and wine, the response is the people are, you know, the response is that Abraham gave tithe to Melchizedek. I believe that once you start to receive bread and wine, that what made Abraham rich was not just giving to Levi and Levitical system. It's when he started, when he started sowing into uh, new covenant Melchizedek yeah. priesthood. And so I would challenge every preacher today to ask yourself the question, am I a new covenant preacher? Or am I an old covenant preacher? Or am I a mixture of both? And that's what Paul called a perversion of the gospel. Wow. It's when you mix law and grace. And Paul told them in Galatians, the fourth chapter, he said, if you want to know what falling from grace is, it's when you go back under the law, touch not, taste not, handle not, or you go back to circumcision. That's what Paul calls falling from grace, not I sinned last night. And I challenge preachers that if you'll start preaching grace in the new covenant, people will start to come back. They'll be restored. I, people have left the church because they're disenfranchised with the system, and all it could do is tell them how bad they were every time they walked through the door without any answers. The law, the law can point out your problem, but it's all full of demand and not full of supply, and the new covenant is full of supply without a whole lot of demand. And I would say then the next thing I would say is turn the Holy Ghost loose because we treat the Holy Ghost like the crazy uncle we keep in the basement. We don't know nobody uh, around him on Sunday morning because we're afraid he'll embarrass our prominent guest. And I think we need to let the crazy uncle out the basement a little bit. Let the Holy Ghost move a little bit. <laughs> That's what I'd say. <laughs> and I know that Hawkins tree has got a couple of those kind of. <laughs> got some, got You're some right. crazy uncles in the basement, yeah. right? Rand, Randy's sitting in the building right Randy now. We yeah, let him out the basement. He's actually in the sanctuary. I used to preach for Randy when I was a young man. He's a preacher, Randy. Yeah, and, and Adam always says Randy is his favorite Hawkins. So 
you know, this is all this is all great number right one. here. This number is a one. great yeah. Randy night. Either that or we need to tell him we need to have a crawfish bowl and just forget all this, right? <laughs> <That's> right. Incredible <laughs> dialogue tonight, guys. I can't thank you enough. You guys have been very insightful and encouraging and inspirational thank as you. well. And um, thank, just thank you. I don't know how else to say that.